Well, if, uh, if you're a guest with us today, we're in the midst of a kind of a January sermon series um, on the essentials of the faith. It's titled The Essentials. And uh, the idea is for eight weeks, we're focusing on some of the kind of the foundational beliefs of the Christian church. These are kind of the big categories of faith that in, in the grand scheme of things really unite all Christians everywhere. I mean, there, there are certainly conversations, of course, between different Christian traditions about some of the details, but, but these big things unite the worldwide church of Jesus. So we kicked that off last week and in looking at scripture, and uh, today we look at God, just faith in God. So I, I'd like to read a few passages for you. Um, first from Genesis, just the f- very first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I read verse two too, didn't I? (laughs) It's all good. And then Deuteronomy chapter six, we'll read verses four through nine. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And finally, a portion of Isaiah uh, chapter 45. We'll read verses five through eight. I am the Lord. This is God speaking, obviously. I am the Lord. There is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. You heavens above, rain down my righteousness. Let the clouds shower it down. Let the earth open wide. Let salvation spring up. Let righteousness flourish with it. I, the Lord, have created it. Friends, indeed, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's just start with the, the very first four words of the Bible. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. I, I hope you know that the overwhelming majority of human beings who have ever lived affirm that statement. In the beginning, God. Uh, In our world today, about 85% of the world's population believes that God is. Now, if a supermajority is 66%, well, 85%, this is a vast, overwhelming majority of people. And and again, there's a lot of conversation about the details. You know, not not, not everybody believes in the the same God. But to the basic question of faith, God, yes or no, 
85% of the world answers yes. I mean, in, in my mind, that's one of the most compelling evidences for God. Not because I have great faith in human beings. I mean, you know people because you know you. But because of the simple fact that such a staggering majority of both human beings who've gone before us and living human beings have concluded that there must be something more than just us. You know, that, that something or someone must have brought this into being, somehow caused the universe and the earth and, and life itself. That, that overwhelming majority has concluded that there must be an explanation for life. We're alive right now. What a thing. There must be an explanation for life that is both better and bigger than mere molecular happenstance. I learned a really important leadership lesson about 15 years ago at a conference. I was in the, on the pastoral team at a different church and we were leading kind of a big change process, building a second campus and it cost a lot of money. It was a big decision. And uh, at, the, at the final vote, 86% of the congregation approved the decision. I thought that was, I, I thought that was bad. I didn't feel good about that. Didn't feel like enough of the, the body was on board to really make this kind of substantial decision. And then at a, at a leadership conference, just a couple weeks later, a speaker was talking about how all of us fall into a bell curve distribution with regard to different kinds of things. He was specifically talking about risk aversion when it comes to making decisions. You know, you got 15% early adopters, you got 35% relatively early adopters, another 35% relatively slow adopters, and 15% out at the end, the really, really late adopters. And this person was arguing if in, in making any kind of big conclusion, if you get 85% of the people on board, you can count that as 100% success because you've convinced everybody who can be convinced. I just wonder about that with regard to God. 85% of the world's population believes in God. This points, I think, to the power of general revelation. Everybody who can be convinced is convinced. We talked about that a little bit last week, general revelation, that the Bible says that the heavens declare God's glory and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. You know, Paul in, the, in his letter to the Romans says that what may be known about God is plain to people because God has made it plain to them. I mean, this is the very simple go outside and look up argument. There's a reason a vast majority of astronomers believe in God. They're looking all the time and they're concluding there's got to be more. You might have heard of a sociological, sociological change in our country called the rise of the nuns. You know, the Pew Research Center coined this phrase, I believe, and it, it talks about not nuns like N-U-N-S, I mean, nun as in N-O-N-E, people that claim they have no particular religious belief. You know, they, they identify as, as uh, nothing in particular or atheist or agnostic. In the United States in 2007, that segment of our population comprised 16%. 
But by 2014, that segment of the, of the whole U.S. population comprised 23%, a staggering level of growth, a full 1% of the total U.S. population per year from 2007 to 2014 decided they were none, right? In a, in a country of 330 million people, the math isn't hard, that's 3.3 million people a year decided, actually, I'm nothing, And you and I are living in that culture and that vibe is beginning to feel increasingly normal. And this is just a global reality check. It's not normal. That same Pew Research Center also published a groundbreaking study a number of years ago titled, The World is Expected to Become More Religious, Not Less. The vast majority of people in the world, the 7.8 billion people who don't live in Europe and the U.S., are concluding that God is. In, in, in large scale, they're making that conclusion. Again, I would argue this is just human beings responding to general revelation and concluding that God is. And really, when you talk about faith, and, and now we're talking about the Christian faith, this is the starting point, right? Because you've got to accept the existence of God as, as a first place to explore. The book of Hebrews touches on this. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So you can't start a, start a search for God unless you believe God exists. Christians not only believe that God exists, that God is, but that God has revealed himself more specifically All Christians everywhere believe this. Now, the first question uh, in this specific revelation is God or gods? If there's something more, what are are we talking about? If gods, you know, is is there a boss? Is there a big dog? Uh, Which actually reminds me of a joke. Have you you heard about the, uh, uh, the agnostic dyslexic insomniac? He stays up nights wondering if there is a dog. (laughs) Keep thinking about it. (laughs) No, I I give you this. It feels like a, a sermon series on the essentials of faith ought to start with God, maybe not scripture. But when you get to this place of asking questions about knowing God, you have to rely on the more specific revelation about God. And that's why we began with scripture because now we turn to scripture as to what scripture says about God. So we talked about why we believe scripture last week. But on this question of God or gods, scripture is clear, it's God. And and that idea was a huge leap for the people of Moses' day. The first five books of the Bible are attributed to Moses. And in those first five books, in in the book of Exodus, the Ten Commandments are recorded, those commandments that God gave to humanity. And the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Don't have anybody else. I'm the one. And, And the witness of Judaism to the world back in that day could be summarized by the first line of the Apostles' Creed, which we read today. We believe in God the Father, Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. 
God revealed himself as being one God, not many gods. It's monotheism, not polytheism. And again, back in Moses' day, that was revolutionary because everybody was polytheistic. There were gods all over the place. But the centerpiece of Judaism, the centerpiece of of morning and evening prayer for the Jews focused on the Shema, a very simple prayer. In Hebrew, it sounds like this. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. It's Hebrews 6.4, or Deuteronomy 6.4. We read it earlier. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is one God. And they prayed that morning and evening because it was completely countercultural. Nobody else believed that. And here they're saying there is one God and that God has revealed himself to us. And more than that, that God wants our worship, our respect, our love, our commitment. It's the verse that comes right after the Shema in Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. There's one God who's worthy of our love and worship. These two verses really parallel the first and second commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. That's one. Second commandment is this, you shall not make for yourselves an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I have feelings toward you, says God, and I want you exclusively. You know, I want your worship. I want your love. I want your affection. I want you your whole self, your heart, everything. So these are the things that that all Christians everywhere believe. God is. God is one. And Christians believe that God is also triune. God is three. And this this is everywhere in the great creeds and confessions of the church. Uh, If you look at the whole Apostles' Creed, which we read together, there are three paragraphs Uh, Those three paragraphs begin with these three lines. I believe in God, the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. There's the Trinity right there in the organization of the creed. This is not uncommon when you look at these summaries of faith. It's organized around Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's no passage in the Bible that says, God is three, there's no, no passage that says that God is triune. But when you look at scripture as a whole and the Bible's witness to God, we understand that both Father or all Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all God. This was a helpful thing that I learned along the way, not long after I became a Christian. Christians believe that God the Father is God by definition. We believe that Jesus the Son is God by identification Because when you read the passages in the Bible, Jesus clearly identified himself as God. And we believe the Holy Spirit is God by association. When you read the biblical passages, the Holy Spirit is so closely associated with the activity and purpose of God in the world that the Holy Spirit is God. Later in this series, we'll talk more about the deity of Jesus and and the Holy Spirit. But the point here is that for Christians, we can't think about God without thinking about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. 
God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A lot of mystery here. Uh, but again, when you, when you go back and read kind of the creeds and confessions, they don't shy away from the mystery. The Athanasian Creed was written primarily to, uh, uh, to defend the doctrine of the Trinity biblically against some ideas that were swirling around. Look at a couple sections from this creed, not one we read often as a church. Now, this is the Catholic faith. Now, that's small c Catholic, so that doesn't mean... Roman Catholic, it means universal, the, the universal church around the world. This is the universal Christian faith that we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. Don't try to mess with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're all God. Nothing in this Trinity is before or after. Nothing is greater or smaller. In their entirety, the three persons are co-eternal and co-equal with each other. It goes on like this, right? But each line addresses some kind of idea that was swirling in the day about how to define this better or make this. And, and, and ultimately, the Bible says God is one in three and three in one. We worship one God in Trinity. That's what Christians believe. And it is essential because by definition, to not believe that means you've left the reservation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be a Christian. Uh, and, and there are people who have done that, right? By, by their very name, Unitarians have defined themselves as being over against Trinitarians. And that, that doesn't mean that anybody, anybody's bad or not nice or something like that. It, it's just the distinction is clear. They're saying we are not Trinitarian, we are Unitarian. Christians are not Unitarian. We're Trinitarian. The Trinity is an essential belief of the Christian faith and it unites all Christians around the world. So, God is, God is one, God is triune, and finally, God is good. This is everywhere in the Bible, the larger trajectory of Scripture. But I, I just picked this passage from Isaiah because it highlights a particular characteristic of God that I find so comforting. Look at the text again. I am the Lord. There is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me. So that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know there is none besides me. What a thing. Uh, you know, we read the whole passage earlier. It talks about God's righteousness raining down from heaven and salvation springing up. It's, it's all God bringing good things to human beings while we're going about our business not even acknowledging God. I mean, what a, what a stunning basic characteristic of God that's revealed here. That God moves toward people for their good even while they are ignoring him and behaving in ways that offend him. Can I say that again? A basic characteristic of God as revealed by the scripture is that God moves toward people for their good 
even while they're ignoring him and behaving in ways that offend him. That's what Jesus is like. So if we're all called to be Christ-like on a scale of one to 10, where's your Christ-likeness on that issue? Moving toward people for their good, even when they're ignoring you and behaving in ways that offend you. God is good. I mean, in the essentials, what Christians believe about God is both important and unifying. God is. God is one. God is triune. And God is good. To close, I thought we could together uh, say the first article of the Belgic Confession. The article is titled, The Only God. Let's read it together, shall we? We all believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that there is a single and simple spiritual being whom we call God, eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, unchangeable, infinite, almighty, completely wise, just, and good, and the overflowing source of all good. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me, would you? God, we thank you that you, um, that you want to be known, that you are in this moment making yourself known. Thank you that we can know about you just by looking around at one another and at what has been made. Thank you that we can know you more specifically than that and not just know about you but actually know you as a person. Uh, you are great and far above us, but thank you that you've shown us what you're like, that you are good, that you move toward us even while we're ignoring you, all for our good, even while we're behaving in ways that offend you. God, thank you that you are like that. It it changes our whole life, our whole perspective on the world. God, thank you for your goodness to us. We bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for all that you're doing in our lives and in this world. Align us with you again by your Spirit uh, for your glory and the good of this world in which we live. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.